September 30, 2021. It's a lot for Pedro show.
Without gaps in time, no distinct time could ever be given. No truly new day could ever dawn yet again without the gap of the night between one day and another. Until that very moment, Pariah had always felt her name fit her perfectly. She had always felt like a Pariah, even before she was declared one. But now, everything had suddenly shifted. Our Pariah dwells within the walls of the eternal mountaintop city of Clochure, where a heavy snow falls against its heavy gray walls, fortressed against time's lateral pulse. been different. She stood out, and there was never a safe thing to do in Clochure. Pariah's large hazel eyes possessed a strange magic. Anyone she gazed at saw a truthful reflection of themselves. She sees truth, and because of this always felt the call to protest injustice. Because of this vocation and her truth-seeing, Pariah was banished from Clochure. I wander unwanted, broken but honest, displaced and dishonored, a prisoner of my conscience, 
so lonely and so longing With no sense of belonging This road stretches beyond me These dreams, they still haunt me With no wisdom to offer And no coins in this coffer My truth is my coffin No justice, just us Watch for Pedro Show. Happy Thursday. Started off with John Coltrane doing Saturn. And then Celeste with Debris Field, the Grand Mall Debris Field. Because uh-huh. of those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, I'm able to bring aboard Celeste. Yeah, hey. <laughs> so glad to have you aboard. Uh, interested in your journey through music. Can yeah. you please bring me the earliest musical memory you still have? Sure. My earliest kind of like coming to the cello recollection is in the summer before middle school, I attended a little workshop where you got to choose an instrument to play in middle school, right? 
Uh, and just before that, a uh, string quartet had come out to my elementary school to play some Beethoven string quartets for us so we could get to know, you know, what a string quartet is, what all the different instruments are. And I remember sitting on the floor next to the cellist and I could feel the cello playing. You know, I could feel the reverberations under my hands. And I knew, I like knew right then I wanted to play cello. But also the cellist who was playing that day, he, like he was so intriguing to me, but he was like six foot four. Uh, he had a giant afro and he was wearing an eye patch. And I was like, I want to be as cool as this person. So that's sort of my earliest uh, cello memory. Oh, well, what about when you little girl, like the pad you grew up in, Chalista, was there musical instruments in that pad? No, they weren't. But my family had a close friend. Uh, he was a jazz pianist. And so he introduced me to my first love, my first musical love, which is Thelonious Monk and bebop jazz. Oh, okay. So uh, he he would come over and play for, well, was there, there must have been a piano for him to play, right? No. So he would come over and he would just play records. We oh, okay, yeah. And okay. talk to them. And that was my first that makes yeah, sense. First intro to music. My family uh, is not musical. My my father is a philosophy professor and my mother uh, was a city manager. So we didn't have like instruments in the house. No, but that's the magic thing about stuff like record players, cassette players, the radio. Everybody can play it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Let me ask you, the first uh, album you bought or a record, you know, piece of music mm -hmm. you bought with your own money please mm -hmm. um i bought i remember the first time i went to a shop and i bought my first album i bought two albums on the same day i bought the glenn gould d minor bach d minor keyboard concerto yep. and i also bought uh tori amos voice for pele same oh, day yeah bitch what about the first gig you saw chalista Oh, wow. Gosh, I think, you know, honestly, I grew up outside of Boulder, Colorado. Um, my parents used to buy tickets to the Longmont Symphony. I remember seeing them them play when I was pretty little. I can't remember, like, what I heard the first time, but that's sort of the first symphony I heard. That's okay. Red Rocks, right? Oh, yeah. The first concert I went to was Tori Amos at Red Rocks. Okay. I got to work that pad. It's an incredible one, a very singular place to yeah, you know, especially for a big pad. Yeah. Interesting, because they took nature, right? Kind of made an amphitheater. Um, yeah. Let me ask you about school. Now, you said in junior high you got to pick cella, but before that, were you in, like, the choir, the marching band, or shit like that? No, because that's when I actually picked an instrument to learn. Just prior to that, um, yeah. I played a little bit of piano. Um, we did at some point in my family get a, like a keyboard or something like that. So I started on piano at age eight. Um, and I did, you know, once I found cello, I pretty much only played cello, but I do play, because I went to music school, you do have to play keyboard, right? You have to have some passable keyboard skills. So. So uh, for this piano learning, did you have a teacher? Yeah, I had a teacher. Because what I'm getting to is like, a lot of people, guests on my show, this could be a very traumatic thing, like make you want to quit. And you, I think it depends a lot on the teacher. How was your yeah. experience? 
No, I've been really lucky and very fortunate to have a series of really wonderful educators. And, you know, that makes a huge difference in, in encountering music and staying with music. Now, you know, the cello, incredible instrument. It's got to have the biggest range of everybody, right? The whole voice, for sure. Yeah. Uh, bass clef, treble clef. I mean, it's incredible. And it's got the big uh, seventh, uh, fifth, so you can make the big dramatic jumps on the way I said seven. But, uh, but um, I'm wondering about why you're still in school, right? Not higher education. But you know, in the afternoon where you get the garage band, the basement man, the bedroom band, was there a place for that with cello when you were growing up? I mean, I think the equivalent would be that I was a part of a youth symphony. So on Saturday mornings, every Saturday morning between, I think, like my freshman year of high school till the end of it, I I went to youth symphony at 9 a.m. in the morning on Saturday. Okay. And that's like organized by older people, you know, uh, less younger people, I should say, <laughs> that are kind of schooled in that kind of thing. I was talking about the experience where you're like with your peers, and you're, you're, you're right? You're like finding out about it. So you're trying to, what, jam or write your own songs, this kind of stuff. Did you do any of that? No, no, I never thought that. Tracy, you got to understand, I wasn't there. So I'm, I'm just guessing, right? Yeah. So no, I never had that experience. Just that, because. That's okay. That's okay until much later. And so uh, I was only a classical musician until 2015. Yeah. And then, then you spoke about after high school, higher education in music. And uh, was it the kind of classical musician where if they don't put that sheet of music in front of me, I can't play? Yeah, for sure. Because sure. I've met people like that, incredible, right? But they, there was no improvisation. And then when you, when you, when the, yeah. Talk about it. Oh, you mean the jazz? Is jazz the only music where you can improvise? Uh, yeah, I, I, I asked that question rhetorically because I think, right, you can improvise over anything in a perfect world. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really funny thing to, to, to think about. But the truth is classical musician is not, it's rooted in improvisation. So like, Classical music, starting with the Baroque period and even before, we musicians would improvise over figured bass. So they were given music that had something that was very similar to a lead sheet, and they would improvise over that. And like all the soloists, until not that long ago, they improvised their cadenzas. Oh. And so classical music and improvisation were like born together for sure. So it's but the art of improvisation was really lost at some point. Well, I, I, tell me if I'm wrong, but I heard that the, I, the reason that came around was that the uh, composers wanted more control over their pieces. I don't know if it's that, but I think that the culture of learning improvisation was lost more oh, than anything. Okay. I don't know if it's due to like one factor, but I think there's many You're factors. You're probably right, because most human things have lots of complexity and nuance and stuff. Look, you gave me this music here up. Uh, the banishment. I want to play that. Cool. Once the cloture assembly had passed the motion to make a pariah of pariah, it first tried to humiliate her before expelling her from the city. The exiling citizenry held her in place and cut off 
locks of her hair. They cast her outside the city's walls, through the iron-wrought gateway, sending her rolling down the mountain, laughing and jeering all the while. Pariah is covered in dust, filth and blood from her long fall down the mountain, a jagged, ugly cut on her skull where a rock had been thrown at her clothes crimson on the snow. Pariah arises and turns her back to the laurel forest to face the place she once called home atop the mountain. Pariah's despair and desolation gives way to sheer rage. Reaching into her tall boots, she grabs her knife and takes it to her own remaining hair. She stands defiantly, looking up the mountain with contempt. If they wanted her hair, let them have it. Pariah herself, however, they could not have. Pariah, surrounded by piles of her shorn locks, drops her knife and raises her two middle fingers to clôture. Pariah is indeed a pariah now.
bright light Heaven's above In the right light You could fall in love In the right light A stranger in this land Could mistake you For a
Watch for Pedro Show. That chunk of music started off with Chalista doing The Banishment. Then brand new from Dear Laika. Gwenefort's Grave. Neil Turpin's got a new album out of Leeds in the night light. No, in the right light. Come on, what? And it's a bad album, man. I mean, you know, bad is good. I really dig it. Firmus Dolimbo. Portuguese. Landeria. Landera. Fuck. I'm an equal opportunity language butcher. I don't mean to, people. I'm so sorry. Uh, Bum is pregnant. Watch over me when I sleep. Samuel Lockward, Iowa City with Talk Sunrise. Finally, Pariah from Chalista. Okay, so you really dug your uh, higher education. <laughs> no, but, but you said you were lucky to have good professors and stuff. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, <laughs> higher education. I mean, I had great teachers throughout learning the cello. Um, in grad school, so I went to San Francisco State for uh, MM in cello performance. And I had, you know, like kind of applied to that school on a whim. And I ended up getting in uh, unexpectedly. I really didn't anticipate that. And then I went to that school and I really, because I had taken quite a bit of time off before going, I really struggled to keep afloat. Um, so after a couple of years of just, you know, trying, 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 and then at the same time my career was starting to happen, um, I ended up dropping out. I think that's okay. You know? Yeah, if, totally fine. You know what I mean? I, because, right? In the way, the real school is life. <laughs> And if you're getting pushed a certain way or, you know, you feel it going a certain way, maybe to open one door, you got to close another. Yeah. Or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's too uh, judgmental on, on those kind of things, you know, because especially if you got something going like you did in a parallel universe. Actually, it wasn't that parallel. They, they were kind of related. It was still music. Yeah. Right, right. What, what about uh, composing? Were you doing that as a, y a younger lady? No. Um, composing. That's such a, it's sort of funny because I only, oh God, officially started saying I'm a composer like this year. <laughs> That's okay. You get, but to when I look back no, Chalista, you get to be in charge of your life. There ain't no, you know what I mean? No yardsticks. So if you used to think it's right now. But uh, were you, like, kind of making attempts? Or, oh, no, not until now. Okay. Uh, you know how the, uh, when uh, some younger people you might have met, they get these four tracks, or now you can use your pewter, right, or even your leash, and you start doing sound on sound. So that's what I was uh, wondering about. Yeah, so prior to starting to call myself a composer this year, the truth was I've been composing for a while, and I just didn't recognize it. And, I, you know, my first series of albums – they're absolutely me as a composer, probably more so than as a cellist. Maybe kind of more from the folk tradition where you got a story to tell, right? I, I'm, you know, uh, metaphorically, like using music instead of like, oh, it's pure music. No, this is part of my story. You know what I mean? I think rock and roll took some of that from the folk tradition where you, you kind of sing about yourself and stuff like instead of having it so it's more personal in a way and so maybe you don't consider it like serious music but it actually is i think yeah i know i like that reference to the folk tradition that's really cool but yeah definitely i've always said um in general that 
music and cello are just a platform for me to use to tell a story. Yeah, because I do get a sense of that from your pieces. Uh, you kind of a uh, well, I don't know how abstract they are, but sometimes they come off like diary entries. Yeah, I can see that for sure. It's really interesting. It's actually very generous and stuff. Uh, what What is your process? Do you, do you have like a notebook of lyrics? Do you use a voice memo on the recorder to get little me melodies memorized? Or? Mm. Yeah, my process is, you know, I used to be sort of ashamed of it, but now I understand it as my process because it's so different from what I've known from classical music. But my process usually almost always starts with a visual prompt. So like, for instance, my first album, the album art for that is a painting by the artist Jennifer Caviola. And that I had played a exhibition she was featured in. And I went home with a poster from it and I put it on my wall. And I remember at that point, for some reason, I decided like every day I wanted to just look at the poster and I wanted to create a musical response to it. And I decided I would do that for the course of a month. And eventually during that process, I started, it became more of a structured improvisation. And there were lots of themes that would come up again and again. And so following that album, which was a, a, a you know, a response to a painting, almost everything else has been visually based. And then following that, I usually have some sort of, like, I want to call it a script. I have some sort of script that I follow that gives the whole musical composition some order. And then from there, the music is almost last every time. I can, I can relate because I use visual things too. For one reason is it's a lot harder you know, well, you got to go through some layers of uh, abstraction. Whereas if you hear somebody's song and you kind of borrow or appropriate, yeah, it's kind of more like stealing. Whereas you, you use somebody's visual expression, you have to like kind of transform that to to make it music and maybe less of a kipe or something. Yeah. I, I made a whole opera based on Hieronymus Bosch images. I know exactly, mm. or, or I don't know, but I, I, I'm assuming or guessing same kind of thing that visually becomes good, uh, I don't know, like a fertilizer to grow music. Yeah. Yeah, ain't that a trip? You know, mm. uh, you ain't always Chalista. So when did that come about? Oh, gosh, I don't, I think quite a while ago, probably in the early 2000s. And it was honestly, it was like <laughs> my username on something. And I just, I kept it and it just morphed into its own thing. And now it's like, it's my last name. It's legally my last name now. I think it's beautiful. I'm a little cello player, you know, <laughs> it's not too abstract. It's got, it's kind of rooted in, uh, and in California, why not be a chillista? Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. I think it's bitching. And do you remember the first gig you did as chillista? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. I it was in San Jose. Uh, it was shortly after I had moved back to the United States from France, and I was playing at a art gallery in downtown San Jose called Anno Domini, and I do not remember. 
I do not remember the particulars of the gig, but I do remember, oh, using it. It was a, it was an exhibition, actually. The first time I saw it on a poster when it was printed was an exhibition I had with a visual artist named Baron Story. And Baron and I had this dual exhibit at Anno Domini. And that was the first time it was, like, legit, where I was like, I go by Chalista. And you never looked back. You were Chalista from then on. That was it. Yeah. It got printed on a poster. So, right. The sea change. <laughs> if it's on the poster, it's got to be a sea change. Yeah. <laughs> I felt so. I remember being like, it felt really natural. So that was a cool thing. And do you remember how you came up with it? No. I mean, I think I thought it would sound pretty to have an A at the end of cellist and then, you know, use like a Spanish pronunciation. Well, you know, Italian and Spanish, a lot of the words are close. And chilla, yeah. sky, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, uh, and then this this first record, right? You keep referring to this mm -hmm. first record. Uh, yeah. I, we do have some music from it we're going to play later in the show. Uh, interesting. Uh how did it come about? Did you plan it out or was it an opportunity that just presented itself? Oh, yeah. So that one is the one that came from the responding to a painting and improvising to it every single day. And that one as well, uh, I recorded it on a handheld Zoom recorder at, a, at the same art gallery I was talking about earlier. Right, right. And did it, I just, that one I did not have the painting in front of me. So I, what I did was I visualized it and I just went for it and I got a, that, that album actually has been used so often in like little indie films. Um, and it cracks me up because I just did it like randomly at an art gallery with my yeah, own. Yeah, you're telling me not a studio, right? Just with a little handheld recorder. Yeah. And, and like there were concrete floors and a high right, ceiling. Right, right, right. But maybe not the best neighbor. acoustics. <laughs> yeah. So wow. there's no editing at all. It hasn't been mastered. Yeah, um. it's totally organic <laughs> and natural. But that shows to go you, you know? And it's yeah. been used so much so people found value. They didn't have to be told. They felt it. They heard it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Look, yeah. we're at the end of the first hour, September 30, 2021, this Wapito Show. Special guest, Chalista. Hold tight for hour two. September 30, 2021. It's the second hour of Wapito Pedro.
banging on the walls of your citadel. Something about your laws ain't sitting well On my soul as I roll through this living hell Some can barely make a living, others living well Got me livid, this division is a bitter pill Looking in from the outside, bitter still Bitter pain, bitter angst, bitter anger Bitter words on the tongue of a stranger They say a little bit of truth can be dangerous A whole lot and a whole lot hang you They say a little bit of truth can be dangerous A whole lot and a whole lot hang you
Delirious from head trauma, Pariah collapses in the clearing. In the dream into which Pariah then fell, she awakens on the ground in a state of complete quiet and peace. Next to her, the branches of a sprawling bay tree spread themselves out broadly against the moonlight. There is nothing threatening about the looks of the spreading tree or of the light breeze that gently rustled through its berry-laden branches. Rather, the sight of the tree and the sound of the wind rustling, it deepens the sense of serenity Pariah awakens into. Our Pariah is a waking dreamer, unable to discern reality from illusion. She opens herself up like a blooming flower, and in her newly unfolded openness, beholds for the first time that she is not alone. Standing beside her in her dream is another woman, older than Pariah, but shining with a glow of eternal youthfulness. The woman of the dream stands where a moment before the bay tree had been. The woman looks smilingly into Pariah's upraised eyes and speaks. Uncover the unseen. Present 
phony with a feeling of responsibility to guide us forward beyond. she gazes up at the apparition of Lori Green and sees it slowly vanish before her, leaving her all by herself in her dream. Let this desire be reason enough and let it show us how to heal by example how to from her dream to find herself in complete solitude. Start off the second hour, Chalista with Small Prophecies. Ben Salter from Tasmania after that was squandering. Team Dresh, Donna Dresh, incredible bass lady at Olympia. 
What can a lover do? Have a nice laugh with Blood Hail, Ray Shin, Siren Song, and finally, Laurie Green, Chalista. So this new record, what, when's it out? Tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Now, it was made different, right? Was yeah. it inspired different also? Sorry, what? Well, like the first record was inspired by the, the, that artwork, right? Or yeah. Co- actually, a coaster. Still artwork. But what about this record? How, how did it come about? Yeah, Pariah is my record that's getting released tomorrow, October 1st. And Pariah is absolutely a pandemic baby. She came out through lots of nights of insomnia and worrying and me writing. And I, I created a little fairy tale that I wrote with my father. And from that kind of came about this operetta. And she, you know, I, I recorded her in LA at LA's East West Studios, pretty legendary place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason I got in there, what, what happened was that U Symphony that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Well, I went to U Symphony with a guy named Keith Munson. And so he, he co-manages that studio. Ah. So we played together, he plays trombone and we're still really good friends. And so he got me into East West and he helped track everything at East West. And so I always thought that was really neat, really special time because it was at the height of the pandemic. So the just just getting this album done has been so difficult. Um, you know, you know the history, right? Bill Putnam and all that. There, there's buttloads of history with that past. Yeah, I mean, that's. It's interesting because I, I always go visit the studio when I'm in town, when I was, you know, living away and I'd visit L.A. I'd always hang out with Keith there. You know, it was just like something you did. And so it was a real treat to finally, like, get to record. And we did it in the same room as Pet Sounds. Where Pet wow. Sounds. <laughs> so that was really fun. Um, Keith. Keith was so generous and like helping me get in there. I bet you the but, sandbox was no longer there. Yeah. <laughs> you know that, right? The story they built a sandbox for Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Look, we're talking about the way it came about. You write the libretto, pertinent or libretto, right? Because you refer to it kind of like opera, uh, with your pop. Now, now, how'd you do it? What you you traded lines? Here, I'll write a line. You write a line. How'd you do that? No, what I did was create a treatment for the story with a general outline of how I wanted the story to its narrative arc to flow. Uh, I put in what characters I wanted. I want who, where, when, why, and I handed that off to my dad. And then he would write a version. I would edit, make revisions. He would rewrite, and it was like that for maybe. Just a few weeks. Well, yeah, but that's trippy. That's almost like writing a movie. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's weird because it's something I, I've done with my I'm dad. I'm not saying it's wrong or anything. It, 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 in fact, it's very interesting. And what a way to collaborate with your pop, too, bitches. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. My dad and I collaborate a lot. Uh, he's oh, been a part right? of it. Like, okay, so this wasn't the first time. No. And at the time, I had just moved from the Bay Area and... I had moved in with my parents in Colorado to kind of escape. The Bay Area just felt so suffocating during the pandemic. It was frightening. It was suffocating. So I went back home. I finally had some time to, like, think. And uh, I started this project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and 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 so like you said the music's last right like with the first album so mm -hmm. the, the the lyrics libretto kind of informed what you were composing on the cello yeah i wrote to the to the story for sure because you know how many people the words go last especially the titles I have to start with the title or I can't write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I always, you know, everybody's got their own technique. Here, here's another part of it. Uh, something called pretend. After lying a bit longer awake, alone but not lonely, in the gray forest, Pariah looks up to see yet another visitor walking towards her. This time, not in a dream. This is Poser, our witness to this tale. Unbeknownst to Pariah, he had been with her all along, silently watching the scene unfold. When the iron gates of Clochure were flung open and Pariah was exiled, Poser left the city trailing behind her. He is another witness to truth, a truth Pariah has yet to see. When Pariah had gazed at him in the jeering crowd, he saw himself as a witness. When they banished Pariah, he knew he could not go home again. Throughout the time she spent in the forest clearing, the poser had watched Pariah silently, afraid to announce his presence. Poser enters the clearing. He knew he needed her courage more than she needed Turns the gaze. They see themselves clearly in one another's eyes. Under the gleaming light of the moonlit sky, the two lovers embrace, pretending the night will last forever. They have known each other since the end of time. For one night, just pretend. You can be the earth while fire, air, and water. Guide me along every square inch of your oceans and your masses of land. Toward that serene balancing point, so you never have to deviate from your axis ever again. Just pretend.
in serene acceptance as she wanders away.
If there were no breaks in a line, the line itself could never come forth. Without gaps in time, no distinct time could ever be given. No truly new day could ever dawn yet again without the gap of the night between one day and another. Such gaps are not to be filled in. If there were no differences between them, the past and the present would meld seamlessly together and wipe out all their differences with the future. Time would lose all time to keep time. Be patient, then, for time's sake. Chunk of music star Elva Chalista doing pretend. Then we had the Suns with the trilogy. Some watchers, Brave Rats, Up Around the Sun, Ida Red, and then finally Don Chorus, Chalista. So, all these pieces, uh, nine pieces, they're, they're all related. There's a narrative, right? Yeah, I've got a narrator in this one. And you say it's informed by the situation of the fucking COVID-19 hell. Uh, but, you know, for all, it still seems up in a way. You know, I get the spirit from it that it's not total beat down. No, I don't. I don't think it is at all. And it's building on my other work. It's building off of my previous work, which all of my work touches on themes of, of othering. So ideas of like exile, of people not feeling like they fit into their communities, of people feeling unwanted by their communities and people being pushed out by their community and finding your place and realizing that everywhere is home. Oh, that's very beautiful. That's very beautiful and fucking, I think, necessary, especially these days. Uh, and the process of recording it with your buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was that like? Uh, yeah. What went, so, for, what went first? Like the the cella or a click track? or No. No uh, click track, right? Yeah, there's a click track. Um, so the process was we had to do very small ensemble groupings because of COVID, right? So there's protocols at the studio that are very strict. Yeah, and lead engineer on this project on Pariah is a woman named Heidi Trefethen. And so she's the lead engineer. Keith tracked it. Um, she guided it. And then for other recordings and for mixing, she handled that. 
But what we did was we would start with a basic layer. So I believe we began with piano and drums. And then we would add on one by one uh, the different instruments. And that's pretty much how we did. We did two full days at East West. So about we did about 16, 18 hours. Pretty intense. Because uh, that music is not easy. Uh, it's pretty complicated stuff. So I have some great players on it. And, and uh, uh, did you score out their stuff for them? Always. Yes, of course. Yes. Well, I didn't know if you personally or you had some other cat. So you did it. So you had to put in some time. Yes. Yeah, so I worked. Yes. Yeah, so we write the music and we also work with an arranger or an orchestrator. Uh, you work closely with them to put these things together. And not every track, not every composition on this album is mine, just to make that clear. But I did uh, the requests of different arrangements um, and, and how we shaped the form of these things is, is me. And then quite a few of the pieces are mine as well. Well, like you got this thing you and your pop wrote, right? Then you need the music to go alongside it. So sometimes you took music from uh, other or you appropriated and put it in with your own other uh, writers. Yeah, I don't know if I would say appropriated, but um, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I didn't want to sound all gross. Uh, you know, brought brought <laughs> so, to the cause, brought to the mission. Yeah, what I I consider part of my compositional process is that I feel that I'm a very strong curator of music, and so I worked with composers that I know and have experience with, and either I use their piece straight up with very little arranging so for instance the track Lori Green yeah. is by a composer named Maz Swift who she's working with like LA Phil and whatnot but just a tremendous composer right. and she called me very generously to use this piece on the album and then on the first piece Grand Mall I decided the arrangement of that piece so that's a piece called uh, Grand Mall it's by Peter Coplager and that piece was originally for piano quintet but I adapted that into a piece for piano, drums, rap, uh, yeah, rapper, beatboxer, soprano, cello. So it's very, very different from its original source. Yeah, yeah. So you, you repurpose it, right, for your for this piece, of course. Yeah. But but, yeah. but I'm I'm curious on how you came upon that. Like something you heard it and you, you know i'm working on this thing this is perfect for what i need here was it like that yeah so everyone on the album i have a personal relationship with peter peter is a composer who lives in san jose i work with him frequently he also plays piano for the new ballet in san jose i have played that piece before for him and i knew it well and i knew that it fit the tone and character of the opening like sonically it was a match so I asked his permission to rearrange it for, you know, Pariah's purpose. Sure, sure. And he also generously allowed me to do that, which is a huge thing for a composer to do. G generous, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very yeah. much. Uh, but you know what? That comes around, I think. A musician being kind that way to another musician, it'll come back, you know? I think so. Instead of being a shit hoarder and shit. Uh, uh, a, a curious... Uh, when, like you were talking about, there's a was a tradition about the uh, soloists getting to do their own cadenzas. Did you kind of do the same thing, or did you write out everybody's notes, or did you set them up in situations where they could improvise? 
there's a little room for improvisation in their parts. Not much, though. No, it's a pretty classical record. The one piece that is the exception in terms of that form is Pretend, which is by my buddy, uh, Joshua Ickben. And Josh, I asked him to create this piece. I gave him kind of like the treatment of the piece and the feel I wanted. And we worked together a lot. He wrote me this piece that sounds... It sounds like me. He did such a, just an amazing job. It just sounds like me. And in there, he gave a lot of room for improv. Now, is it trippy like to have somebody in your life that kind of knows you without being you? It made so much sense. It was so funny the first time I heard it because he's like, is this okay? You know, and I like listened to it and I'm like, holy fuck, like, <laughs> you know me, you know me so well, we have like a 10 year friendship, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, but I, uh, that that's a trippy thing about music, because you can connect on levels mm-hmm. that, yeah, unite you, even though all the other things are like way desperate. <laughs> yeah, totally, it was so, I mean, what an honor to have such a talented musician as a friend who is willing to do this kind of stuff, you know, what a gift. Right, right. Now, when you get these things all, uh, you know, you start getting recordings of this stuff, did you play it for your pop? Maybe before no. the end, before the finished <laughs> thing. Uh, not that many people got to hear these demos. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty, I like to keep things close until they're ready. So, uh, you know, people on my team certainly heard them, but I play them for very few people. So my dad, I think, I'm not even sure if he's heard the whole album yet. He might hear it tomorrow. Might be his first time. <laughs> well, surprise! Yeah. But because what, what? Why I, I mentioned that? Why I asked that was because oh, the editorial thing. You know, hey, now that mm-hmm. I hear this with that, I, we should change this and that. And so maybe it was, you know, too many cooks oh, in the okay. kitchen. Maybe it was smart yeah. to refine it like that. You know. You know what? I never let anyone have any sort of say in that kind of thing because I'm I'm a little I am creatively possessive and I absolutely trust myself and if I really want feedback I'll ask a particular person but I would never let anyone have any control over that. It's like one director on the set. Yeah, exactly. Because they've already, you know, the time to raise your voice is when you're yeah. doing your drafts of your composition yeah. or doing it at the studio and you want to hear back your part. That's the time. But otherwise, mm, this is my process. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes good sense. Otherwise, it'll get out of hand and just be a, a bundle of loose ends, right? Uh, no focus. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just going to get like really mad. And then that's not going to be a productive space to be in. So, <laughs> no, I try to tell people about morale. Keeping the spirit up in the studio is so important. Yeah, it's hard on those long days. Yeah, I can imagine, right? Yeah. Everything starts getting tedious and uh, getting big and, t- and a sense of being should be tiny. And uh, yeah. You know what, though? Like, I got to say, like, I, I have the very good fortune of recording at two like the nation's biggest studios. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's great. Because I like friendship, because I had great friendships. And like East West, you know, they they treat you so well during the, you know, you're just taken care of. And then when we mixed over at Skywalker, I mean, those were, that was four days of mixing, intense mixing. And they just take care of you though. They like bring by food, 
there were snacks, you know, it's like everything, <laughs> everything you need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But compared to other situations I've been in where they're like, especially the old days of the movement, like mm-hmm. you assholes don't even belong in here. I mean, yeah, things really have changed. There's something about getting respect from your uh, peer, uh, people you're working with and stuff. And, <clears throat> and also, uh, well, maybe some good things come out of friction, but sometimes a lot of energy gets wasted. Yeah, and I think, you know, like during studio days, and especially for this project, because it's, it's like it kind of comes off as rock or whatever, but it's it's solidly classical. And your my ears were like, I left Skywalker, and for the next two weeks, anytime I listened to the radio or any recording, I could hear every edit, I could hear every auto-tune, I could hear Every pitch discrepancy because you're just like, and my classical ears were just like dying. It was the worst. <laughs> you know, I've heard, you know, I got a friend, Petra, she, she's got perfect pitch. And you oh, would think perfect. it's a gift, but she says it's kind of not a gift because, oh. yeah, the, the like opening the door, the hinge is out of tune. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of friends. I have some good friends with perfect pitch, and you know, it drifts too as they age. And so, but yeah, it's a curse. I think it's a curse. <laughs> you know, you're right about the drift because she had to ask me for some bass notes and I was like, Whoa, you used to not be like this, but you know, yeah, life, totally is a journey. life is a journey and we're not machines, you know, but she said, you know, when, when you can hear everything where it's supposed to be, it's hard to get a tolerance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, really hard. And I have a friend too. So He's a film composer, and he has perfect pitch. But he also has synesthesia. And so he is always in a state of, like, sensory overload, I think. Um, but he, I mean, he composes some beautiful, Some his name's Chris Thomas. He composes some really beautiful things, and I think as a result of having perfect pitch and synesthesia. But I think that it's quite a, you know, that's a tough, tough way to live. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, life deals your hand, and you got to play it out. Uh, I'm interested. Uh, you used the traditional kind of cello, right? Because, uh, some of it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- th- I was going to ask. Do you have some modern? You know, I've seen Laurie Anderson play these trippy ass violins that are kind of yeah. different than the original, right? Yeah. Uh, so primarily for recording, I use my old lady Cordelia. <laughs> Uh, my old lady is a hundred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my old lady is a hundred and thirty-five, and she's wow. from the public. So, uh, she's she's a pretty fine instrument, I would say. I I've had her since I was young, and I I use her for recording almost exclusively. But I did use my carbon fiber trello on a couple of the tracks, and that one I don't remember which ones though, and I bet you can't tell, but. Yeah. <laughs> But I will say, there's nothing like old wood. And the only way you get old wood is with old stuff. <laughs> yeah. It just, she has a lot of history. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. Charlie Hayden, Petra's father, he had a 200-year-old bass. And he oh. came to jam. Yeah. And uh, there's just something about it, right? But I wonder, yeah. those nuances, like you said, in a recording situation, if you could tell, you know. It's just yeah. like uh, I read about this thing with bottled water and then 
uh, giving people water out of a garden hose, and they fucking couldn't mm -hmm. tell in a blind test. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's not like, you know, on my carbon fiber, it's called a Lewis and Clark. It comes out of Boston. A lot of cellists are using them because they're, they're like really good professional instruments, but they're affordable. So like my, like for instance, my, my wood cello, which I've had since I was little, when we bought it, it we bought it for like 5,000 and we fixed it up. But over time, those instruments increase in value. So now it's like probably close to 30,000. And my bow, my bow is the one that I think makes the difference because the bow is, my bow is very expensive and it just, it changes the way I play. Wow. So well, people that, that makes sense because that's the thing it. that meets the strain. Does it got horse hair? They all have horse hair unless they're like you. <laughs> yeah. unless I didn't they're know really for sure. I'm kind of ignorant. So I'm, I, I yeah, it's it was horse funny. <laughs> my, it's funny. The guy who fixes my bow, oh, my God, he goes to France every year and he gets the horse hair from the, the horses in the park <laughs> in the south of France. Yeah. It's so silly, but you, but it makes a difference. It matters. Oh, but absolutely. yeah, urban fiber sounds amazing, but yeah. it's very, it's very resonant, and I feel that it's less nuanced okay. than yeah, more was. direct, more in your face. Yeah, but it's a really good cello, though. It's an extremely good cello. It's just like I prefer. I prefer my old lady for sure, recording. I, I understand. I understand. We're at the end of the second hour, September 30, 2021. Dish by Peter's special guest, Chalista. Hold time for hour three. September 30, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show. past what was there. I saw you, a beacon of light in a crowd. We are already here. I am confessing. This is my home. Captain.
It's ancient history But we're fucking learning from Sadly, I'm train 
Black for Pedro show. Start off the third hour. Chalista with Lament. That pet bottle ninja. Lick sketches number three. I think they mean licks like uh, kind of motifs. Musically. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's like people licking each other. Uh, Mode Omen from Baltimore after that. Gloom Operator. Tim Hull outside of England with set, Settling. That's an England word. <laughs> like uh, Fitted. <laughs> I remember when <laughs> that Wire song... Uh, Graham Lewis wrote and fitted. So when he asked me to do a project, I said, how about fitted? Because I don't think I'd ever use that. I understand it. It's uh, Chalista finally with Fountain Alley. Let's talk about titles. Yeah. Bring it. I mean, I think, yeah, you can see it pretty clearly on my first album, but I like to make a little story with the title. So the titles are always last 100% of the time. <laughs> And are they like chapters of a book? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I like that. You know, Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, he called all those cantos, right? And canto's another word for song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I, I, t I totally believe. Because, I mean, I guess you can have an album that's a collection of tunes. But then yeah. you can have an album that's a work, right? And it's right. cut up in parts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, rock opera or something. Yeah, Tommy... <laughs> No, yeah. no, it don't have to be that. It's just, it's just yeah. the way, you know, uh, uh, pieced out different. It's all, it's all different kinds of work. Sometimes uh, some some things come quick and sometimes slower. So, do you the title is it to set up like a question or a mystery, or is it to be the answer to be the the answer to the riddle? I think it just provides a cohesive whole to the album, and that also I try to. If you go through all the titles of all the albums, they are all related. So there's this, there's a whole, like what I want at the end of my life is that I've created a whole work. Oh, okay. So the works are like parts of the big work. Yeah. And I, I hope, I hope people sense that as I go through my, my stuff, because they're all interrelated. And if you dig deep, you'll find the inner stories within. So I'm usually planning a seed for another album within or another project i should say within a title okay okay i guess when the muse touches you right and then psh, you're yeah. off to the races uh what about uh electronics and stuff like pedals or a fan um, yeah i mean i use a loop station for live performance pretty frequently i do a lot of noise i like noise that's my favorite place to be and Actually, my, you don't need a pedal to get noise going on a cello, right? <laughs> yeah, I've been working a pretty. I've been working on trying to have a noise set that is organic acoustic noise. So I have that, but I do I do use a lot of effects for those noise shows. It's mainly me dragging a contact mic on the floor and sticking it in someone's mouth. But <laughs> you mean like video. a gig goer, somebody, an audience member? Yeah, I mean, it's noise, so there's some crazy people. But, yeah, there's video of that happening out there in the world, um, of me doing that. So it's not like it's not staged or anything. It's in the moment. It's absolutely in the moment. But, um, yeah, you know, I use, a, I use a lot of effects on quite a few albums, but I try to do it really, really deliberately. So, like, for instance, I believe – on one of the tracks on Finding San Jose, 
I put effects, like very little effects, but they're there on the on some natural sounds because I like to do field recordings. Oh. So delays on the birds, but it's very subtle. And it's just like, if you have your headphones on, you're probably going to notice that bird sounds weird. Do, do you get pizzicato? Do you let go of the bow and use fingers? Well, I think that that's a big part of the toolkit. That That's just a part of playing. Sure, sure, sure. Vocabulary. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from this, I think this is from uh, the Jose uh, Antes Era Huertos? Yeah. Okay, let me play it.
for Pedro Show last music for this edition Chalista with Antes Era Huertos and then God's Teeth in the Interstellar Tropics out of uh, Brighton, England Energy from the Star Finally, mm-hmm. Chalista with the, uh, Big Jam here, St. James Park what, what, What's behind St. James Park? That's, that's much different than these other babies that's a, Yeah, that's actually a, Yeah, that's a special track there's a park in San Jose called St. James Park. It's been termed a blighted park. Lots of homeless encampments. Um, lots of attempts to use those buzzwords like activate. Um, and there's lots of attempts to put arts in that park to kind of chase out the unwanted, to go back to those themes of otherness and exile. And St. James Park is a just a composition I created out of a structured improvisation. And there's a lot of field recordings in it. And those field recordings come from different places I've visited in my life, including some uh, outside of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Yeah, a city, um, right? That, that island's called City? Le Cité. Yeah. And there's, I, I sample, I guess you can call it a sample. I sample the music box that was there. So I just had my, my Zoom recorder again, and I, you know, did a recording. And then... Uh, there's also field recordings from a place in Poland that used to be a prisoner of war camp during World War II. And I recorded some sounds from that. And so everything's placed really deliberately. So I would say it's a, it's a composition that integrates kind of acoustic cello, standardized playing along with field recordings and some effects. Interesting, interesting. So I know it comes out tomorrow all this work to get it done right, but you're probably thinking of the next one, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) I am. I am. Yeah, I started working on it already. So I should stop doing that because I'm really exhausted, but here I am. (laughs) I know, I know, because, man, I finally got, but then there's another side of you, get back on the horse. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's how it works for me. I just constantly, I kind of, Overgenerate content, I think, and, all the time. <laughs> is it secret? Do you have? You want to give any of way? What, what what direction are you going? You obviously don't want to repeat yourself, right? I think it's okay to repeat sometimes. Okay, okay. but um, I've asked people, like, this is how fucking bizarre I am. Hey, is repetition the enemy of improvisation? <laughs> 
what could be what <laughs> might not be. <laughs> you know, cause, right? If you play something, oh, you're not being inventive. You're, you know, but then there's the whole idea of the mantra and the prayer and all that kind of stuff and the anchor and the focus and the foundation. Why not have repetition? Yeah, I agree. Right? Uh, what does improvisation mean, right? If you're trying to dance on a rug that's moving. So, uh, uh, but, but, but th- uh, the tema, the thematically, you had, you want to give any of that away? Where do you think you're headed? No, I don't think I'm ready. It's still being. Okay, okay. Say no more, say no more. I'll wait till it's birthed. But I do, I have been like filming or filming, I have been scoring more films. And so that's one thing that's projects on the horizon or lots of indie, indie films. And you let the the film inform you, right? Or or do you let the director, like, tell you the plot? Well, I was wondering about that. You know, you watch the film and play along, or do you listen to the director, and then you bring something that's kind of, uh, yeah, not being so informed by the your your interpretation, but what they're asking you. Gosh, I think that I got really lucky almost three times in a row. I don't think this happens very often, which means it'll never happen again. But <laughs> had film directors, they contacted me because they had been using my music as temp music, and they liked it, and then they realized that they could just call me. And so... <laughs> <laughs> So I'm getting films and my music's already in there, which is really cool. And from there, if they have a request as far as what the sonic atmosphere should be, they tell me and I try to do something to to their taste. Right, right. Aid in a bit. Yeah. And where can people find you on the internet? I'm everywhere. Um, <laughs> is there a Chalista website? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, so you can find me online at Chalista, C-E-L-L-I-S-T-A dot net. Okay, see that, people? And from there, you probably got links to all those merch things and whatever sites. And that, I'm glad you got your own place. I can't wait to hear what the next uh, stuff you do. And uh, I'm going to give you an invite. Will you please come on and we could talk about it? I, I just think it's an interesting kind of thing. And I wish yeah. you the best of luck with these uh uh, these film things and stuff. Th- this seems like more and more of a thing for you. Yeah, and I love it. I think I think it's a good home for me. So I'm hoping to get more of those. Yeah, and there's something you know the legato kind of thing. You can fill up so much. Just one instrument can make such a mood. Yeah, I think so, and it's such a cool collaborative opportunity as well. And that's what I love about it. Like it's somewhat I I love working within someone else's vision. Like I don't find it to and be vision compact. right. It's images going with audio with sound. Yeah, and just being able to interpret someone else's wants. Sure, it's sure. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Like I said, greatest gift one artist can give to another. Thank you so much, Shalise, for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It was Absolutely. so nice to meet you. People, it's been September 30, 2021. Dishwap Pedro Show. Keep me power drive.